to do this. Only a million technical difficulties, but that is fine. for joining the Escape With Me book club. Escape with me, Sam Reiner. And me, Danielle. Into our most recent read. Come with us as we evade reality and go into detail about a new book. We'll be covering the book from beginning to end, so there will be spoilers. Today we are going to the marshes of North Carolina, United States, published in August 2018, where the crawdads sing has topped the New York Times fiction bestsellers list of 2019 and 2020. By January 2022, the book sold over 12 million copies, making it one of the best-selling books of all time. In addition to commercial success, the book is critically acclaimed, with high ratings from readers being selected for Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine Book Club in September 2018, and it will later have its movie adaptations hit the big screens in July 2022. The question remains, though, is the book worth the hype? So we chose this book... Sorry, I'm laughing because of what I'm about to say. We chose this book because Danielle heard the song that Taylor Swift is soundtracking for the movie. To be fair, Reese Witherspoon also did recommend it and I follow her on TikTok. So let's get everything straight. Taylor Swift and Reese Witherspoon told me I need to read this book. So I did. You're welcome. (laughs) So that is how we picked this book. (laughs) I'm just saying it's so popular and the fact that both of these women are sort of a part of this. Yeah. I'm cool with it. That's a great reason to do something is all I'm saying. (laughs) I feel like a lot of specifically women have because of their influence also picked up this book and I really don't think it would have skyrocketed as crazy as it has. Yeah, without the endorsements. Not this quickly because it came out in 2018. Yeah. So that's what, four years ago and there's already a movie? Yeah, it was the next month Reese Witherspoon picked it up for her book club. Yeah. I do think it has To Kill a Mockingbird vibes and some of it's because they both mention birds but <laughs> well, they have the little trial and they have the wrongly accused character that is a social outcast. There's a little girl that's involved. Like it's got a lot of the same racist and other types of vibes in this book. The similarities are there. So I think maybe a couple years from now it might be on the every English senior or whatever has to read this book before they graduate kind of thing for that kind of class. I think it could have gotten there on its own, but the fact that Taylor Swift and Reese Witherspoon recommended it definitely helped. I mean, yeah, there's no saying that just because it's a good quality book that it's going to become super popular. Oh yeah. Just because it's popular doesn't mean it's not a good book, I think is what I was trying to make a giant circle around with all of that word garbage that I just threw at you. Popularity does not equal quality, which is what we're here to discuss. So age level is an adult, even though it's coming of age is not coming of age, like coming of age, like a teenager or 18 year old is coming of age, 25 year old. In some ways, coming of age, becoming an old lady. Yes. So it's all of life. Well, and it follows two distinct paths. Um, the stories interact. So it does have that she's a kid. She goes to school. Well, for one day and she has a childhood best friend. It has the coming of age vibes. I think that's why it was so popular and spoke with a lot of people. But then it also has, she's like 19, 22. She's a young adult. And then also 
also, like you said, it fast forwards to when she's an old lady and eventually does die because we all do. So it goes through her whole lifespan. You got a complete picture of this woman. Of her whole life. Of her whole life. Yeah. And a lot of stories they'll cut off right when it's like, oh, well, now she's an adult in the real world and it's done. Yeah. Or like the YA coming of age stories where it's like, okay, well, now she turned 14 and her life's over. We're (laughs) done with this girl. Yeah. And see, that's what I was trying to say. It's an adult coming of age. It's not a YA coming of age. If I was going to put this book age wise, like you have to read this, I would put it senior year. It's just aged up too much. Yeah. But the public school system also makes you read like Grapes of Wrath in like middle school. (laughs) My husband had to read Grapes of Wrath in middle school. I get it. We need to discuss, but 12 year olds. Why are we reading this? Yeah. Anyway, there were a couple of ones where I was like, why are we reading this? There is a couple that sprang to mind. I don't remember the title of, but yeah. So I don't know. I would give this to seniors or juniors at minimum. It's definitely going to be in a lot of college English classes from now on, I think. Oh, yeah. I could totally see this being added to a Southern literature class because it's got that Southern Gothic vibes. There's points it reminds me of The Sound and the Fury with the how this is life and how it is vibes of it. It's very Southern. Anyway, let's get to the content warning real quick. So if anyone wants to pop out, because no. So we do have domestic violence, child abuse, language, graphic violence, sex nudity, attempted sexual assault, and suicidal ideations. So if any of those things are not your thing, totally good. Probably skip that and the movie too. I feel like the movie would be more traumatic. Yeah, they're also, I mean, I think it goes with language, but it's got some racist context because it's set in like the 60s. Yes, that's a good note. Language and that they cuss, but also language in that they use terms that were used in the 60s that shouldn't have necessarily been used and we no longer use. But yes, it has the N-word and a couple other things. That for me specifically, it was difficult because it was written so recently. To Kill a Mockingbird is old and other books in that in that time period. You can't take racism out of it because obviously it was a huge part of the life. But the story is about a white girl. I mean, she does befriend this African-American couple and they semi-raise her. They are national treasures and should be protected at all costs. <laughs> yes. Jumpin' so cute. Jumpin' dying made me sadder than anything else in this book. Yeah. I'm just saying, I don't know. It's 2018. I don't know. No, I totally get that. As white people, it's uncomfortable. The fact writers still have to put this in there. And it's just like, I don't know if we need to, author. Thank you. I would argue this author had to. It's never in a derogatory term. It's more used as a descriptor, which it would have been in the 1960s. But she's just so honest about poverty. And the main thing about the book is not really any ism. There's a lot of isms. Like there's sexism, there's racism. But it's prejudiced at large. And I think it would be dishonest if she didn't point out, hey, not only was Kai being treated like crap, like black people were treated like crap. Like later in the court scene, they couldn't eat with anyone. They had to be outside and picnic and then it rains and then they had to stand on the porch of this store and then the store manager got mad at them. Like that's honest. Okay. Okay. You've talked me into it. I just, it caught me so off guard, I think because 
it was such a recent book. Yeah. Like I had to go back and look and make sure it wasn't, oh, this was an early 2000s release. Because I thought it was a new one when I started. Yeah. It's not Huckleberry Finn, where he wrote it in the time period. Well, that one goes out of its way to be racist and covers it with, guys, it's the time. This one, I will give it. This one did feel more genuine, though. Okay. I half backtrack on my words then. Yeah. But I think it's totally fair to be uncomfortable with that. That's totally fine. Because that's the point. You're supposed to be uncomfortable because the bad things are happening. But yeah, like I said, I just feel like it would be disingenuous if she tried to sugarcoat any of it. Like the one scene where the boys were throwing rocks at Jumpin' and he couldn't react. Otherwise, he could be in so much more trouble. That was so heartbreaking. And so Kai attacking them, she could get away with it. But if he had even reacted negatively, it could have been so bad for him. That was honest. The amount of self-control you would have to have just to survive. Like he wasn't doing anything. He was walking home from work and these two white boys are throwing rocks at him and he's just having to ignore them even though they are hitting him with rocks. Ooh, it makes the blood boil as it should because that's not okay. Yeah. And this book definitely is about survival. So showing that side of it as well, not just, oh, Kaya's life, but everybody she interacts with has some kind of fighting for what they feel like they deserve and what they should actually get. I don't know. It does feel genuine. It's just bothersome. So (laughs) yeah, fair warning to everybody. It's honest. And if you're not ready for that, that's fine. Judge a book by its cover. I didn't know what to think about it. I actually, from the cover, I thought it would take place in like Louisiana and not North Carolina. It definitely felt bio-y. Yeah. And just from the cover, it felt like a drama. So I felt there was going to be a family drama and secrets and stuff. I didn't know what about. So technically, yes, but also technically, no. I didn't really know. The cover didn't give much away other than it felt like one of those books where drama was going to happen. Well, and it's so new. It's the only cover, correct? Or do you know if they have a movie one already? I think this is the only cover at this point point. Just the kind of pinkish orange normal the cover. Yeah. I'm sure they will make a movie one. Let me see. I might get a UK cover. I usually hate the movie covers too. It's a shame. Nope, there is a movie one. It's half a face and then it cuts off at the eyes and then the eyes show a bayou kind of thing. It doesn't look very popular. So, oh, there's a blue cover. Ooh, is that a different country or is that also... I'd have to look into it. I'm just Googling covers. So maybe... Oh, no, I do see the face one. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad, but I kind of like the peach vibes. Well, and on the peach one, because that's the one I audiobooked it and I know you physically read it as all. But I also had the peachy cover. But I like because it shows sort of the marsh. It shows her out and alone, like on a little kayak boat doing her thing. It's a silhouette. I assume it's her. It could be anybody, but that's the presumption is that it's Kaya. I think it's her. It has a sticker. Let me see. Does the sticker say about to be made into a big motion picture? Well, and the movie cover one has that half face, but also has a girl in a boat. So I do like that they kept the consistency between that and the peach cover. I think it's the actress that plays Kaya because movie cover. Yeah, the sticker says now a major motion picture. Oh, okay. So I zoomed into the cover. So that's not a house. That's her in the boat. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. So from far away, it kind of looked like a house. But when you zoom in, 
realizes her on a boat. Okay, never mind. Yeah. I honestly, I think I might like the movie cover. That never happens. Well, I like it. I just don't like it more than the original. I think if it, that was a house instead of a boat, I would like it more. But now that I know it's just her again, I'm like, me. See, that's cute because half of her face is turning into the water ripples. Yeah, that is cool. I like it. I like the vagueness of the cover. I never like the movie cover, so I can get down with this one. Yeah, it's not bad. There's somewhere you're like, oh my gosh, girl. Okay, so it's not a movie cover, but... Ruin the entire book for me, why don't you? No, it's not even that. Okay, so there's this series and it's really popular because it was one of the first branded cozy murder mysteries that came out in 2001 and it's still going and now it's trash. But so the dessert murder mysteries and the original one is the chocolate chip cookie murder. Which you made me read. Which I did make you read. I stand by that one for the most part. I found better ones. Yeah, that one wasn't bad. Ah, the first three I'll take. Anyway, the book makes a huge deal about how she's a redhead and she has unmanageable hair, right? Well, then Hallmark picks it up to become a TV show. And then you know what the actress is? No. Blonde. Mm. With straight hair that they curl to be like, oh, it's curly, but it's like really obviously fake because half the hair is straight and then it curls. You know that hairstyle. Oh my goodness. And so all of the TV show covers have a blonde woman on it. Is that at least strawberry blonde? Do they attempt? No, it is blonde blonde. Nice. I love it. And she is conventionally attractive and she's not plump. Mm. All the things. You just were like, nah, who cares? That tracks for Hallmark though. (laughs) Yes, blonde woman. Even when they got the actress that is DJ Tanner in Full House, I feel like they lightened her hair for her movies. So she's not all the way a brunette. Oh my goodness, they definitely do. So I like the framework of the book because it is three-fourths coming of age and one-fourth trial. And they kind of jump back and forth between the two, like the past and then the present, quote-unquote, 70s, (laughs) where it's the jury trial and they jump back and forth. And so the jury trial is kind of like a framing device because it's a subplot. This is a coming-of-age book. The murder is not the major plot until we actually catch up with that. Up until that point, it's like this coming-of-age and learning about Kaya and stuff. But then it does this really cool thing where it flips it because eventually you catch up with it. And then the murder mystery is no longer the present. It's the past. And the trial's the present. And it's just really cool. At some point when you finally catch up, it switches. I liked that. That was kind of cool. Yeah, I definitely liked the framing devices on this one. And it kept my interest in a way that because it was pretty similar for me in my mind to To Kill a Mockingbird with the trial and stuff, that that book did not. So, and that's a classic. So I feel like this honestly might end up replacing that about 10 years in schools completely. I don't know. But it had a nice narrative pace. I was on the edge of my seat and I did audiobook it. So it was pretty quick either way, but I liked it. It kept me focused. Yeah, it was good. Because I think if they went in chronological order, it would have been not less interesting because it is still an interesting book. But I feel like if you read it in order. I don't think we would have gotten as much of the investigation. Oh yeah, for sure. I feel like if they did it like that, they would keep Kaya's perspective and just go straight to the trial. But because you were able to jump back and forth, we get a lot of the sheriff's perspective. And so we're able to see the investigation more and more. And you can see how they suck at their job. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. I feel like most of the characters in this were pretty well run. Like, I knew exactly the kind of people that Chase and Tate and Kaya were, even if you haven't met someone that's specifically like that. Yeah. But it wasn't as typecast. Yeah, it wasn't a caricature of their tropes. Because they were tropes. You know, you got the popular boy that doesn't know how to take no for an answer. And you got the nerdy guy. And anyway, there were tropes, but she does the tropes well. Having a trope isn't a bad thing. It's if you do it badly that it's a bad thing. And I think they did a really good job because you can kind of see how Chase grew up a little bit. You don't ever get Chase's perspective anything, but through Kaya, you can see how he was this golden child that was worshipped and he was amazing and oh my goodness, and he was on the football team and he was the best guy ever and it's the South, so if you're good at football, you're like revered. And then it shifts because then he graduates and doesn't do anything else. And then he becomes this, well, I was, and instead of wanting to feel inadequate he just continues in this well I have to get whatever I want otherwise I'm inadequate it was just it was very interesting to see how that dynamic changed him or I guess put him on his current course I don't know if it necessarily changed him but it was really interesting because you do see him from like a kid to when he gets murdered in his mid-20s early 20s I can't remember off the top of my head I think their romance whatever starts when she's about 19 Yes. And then about 22 is, I think, their ages that they age out of. Their little courtship, you can call it that. Yeah. Affair. Yeah. She doesn't know it, but yeah, it's fair. (sighs) It's really sad because he totally took advantage of her not understanding things. Well, and I mad respect Kaya's character for as soon as she realizes, because he promises that they're going to get married. He's going to get a better life for her. He's going to save her basically from her poverty and all of this and makes all these sweet promises. And so, of course, you know, she does get intimate with him, which she'd been putting off, even though he clearly is a sketchy dude. And that's another time where I'm like, you took advantage of her innocence. She didn't know. Yeah. First of all, it's not supposed to hurt. Ah, I hate the myth that it's, oh, your first time's supposed to hurt. You're supposed to bleed. No, 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 no. But if you do it right, you're not supposed to do any of those things. But he didn't care. He just wanted to have his way. And so he just, he hurt her and she didn't know better. And I'm just... Ah. Well, because they almost, he tries to force himself on her and then a little bit of time passes and then eventually he sweet talks her into, no, you know, I want to be intimate with you. You know, we can make a real go of this, that kind of thing. And he basically wears her down a little bit. Yes. And that's the other thing. We do not shoot for yeses. We shoot for active participations. We shoot for heck yeses. Okay. <laughs> the reason I'm so upset, because that's so such a high school thing. That's such a boy thing. To like a virgin girl to just wear her down until she's like, okay, I guess. And then it's just like, ah, I want to punch him in the face so many times. Yes, it's, uh, I hate it. I hate Chase so much. He's, uh, but on Kaya's behalf, she goes to a single day of school her entire life. She just learns things and figures things out. But 
as naive as she is, she has like four people that she talks to. Tate had to tell her what a period is. Yeah. But all of that aside, as unlearned as she is. Naive, yeah. She's still, as soon as she finds out that he's got a fiance, like she sees it in the paper. He does not tell her. Scumbag that he is. No, he's still playing the, we'll totally get married one day. Ugh. But she cuts it off is my main point. She has the honesty and the decency. And self-respect. And she has no good home life. Like her parents, they're not divorced. They're not together. Her mom abandons her when she's like five years old. Doesn't come back. She later finds out that she dies or whatever. And her dad takes off at some point as well. They get a couple good years of kind of being father and daughter for a minute. I'd say a couple months, honestly. I don't know the timeline. It was not a long time. It was a year tops. It was not a long time. And then he goes back to being abusive and then one day he just disappears too and then she's like what is it not even an eight-year-old maybe an eight-year-old and now she has to make it a living yeah in the bayou doing nothing and everybody in town hates her well it seems like everyone in town hates her you come to find out some really sweet things like there's a lady at the piggly or is it the piggly wiggly what is it when dixie i don't know anyway at whatever the little one of those cute little southern grocery stores yeah you find out way later in the book that Kaya would come in with her pennies and whatever and would give their change and she didn't know how to count and so of course the cashier lady would have to count the change out for her and you find out that she was giving her extra change out of her own pocketbook and not a lot to make it suspicious but enough and she was like I know it's only sense but she was hoping it would help in whatever way it could and you're just like there are some good people out there we need more of them that's the thing I like about this book because I feel like sometimes coming of age just focus on the bad stuff a lot and is coming through trials and getting through them or whatever but this book goes out of its way to make sure that she still has happy times as depressing as some of the happy times are but there's still little moments where she can look back and be happy or there are little acts of charity or goodness in her life that allows her to survive and stuff and there's big acts of charity like Jumpin' and Mabel who straight up pretend to buy really bad smoked fish from her and are like hey we'll totally trade for clothes and other things you need this totally isn't charity because you know southern pride like that <laughs> even little things like the cashier lady gave her pennies so she would have some more money it is just, that's why I feel like this book is really honest because it, it does not sugarcoat the bad things but it also doesn't take away the good things either and so it's, it's, it's good I like it. I will say it's absolutely soul crushing in the smallest ways. And I like that instead of like these big sweeping moments. Cause yeah, it's really bad that her mom abandons her. It's really bad that her dad's terrible and abusive and all these things happen. But then there's little moments where she's like six and no one remembers her birthday and she just goes out and gives the gulls bread. And one of the birds looks at her and the line is, it's my birthday. She told the bird. It's so sad that no one in her world has the decency to be like, it's her birthday or celebrate it with her to the point where she has to tell a bird that it's her birthday. That was soul crushing. That line. That was so sad. Oh 
Oh my gosh. She does have a couple good examples, of course, jumping in Mabel. And then Tate kind of takes her under his wing at some point when they're kind of grown up. But her biggest influence, because her parents are trash, was her older brother, Jody. And at some point, I think this is the part where I literally teared up. She asked him because he came back, he'd left like all their other siblings, but she'd asked about what her siblings names were. And I don't know, that was so sad for me. She literally didn't remember her family because they didn't remember her enough to come back or to save her. Yeah, she could not remember their names or their faces. She finds this Bible forever later and that's how she knows their names. Yeah. And then later on, she gets paintings that her mom painted of the children. And so she's able to know what their faces look like. But she's like, which one is which? Who are these people? I just, I don't know. That one hit me hard. It has a lot of sad moments in this book. Yes. That are completely rip your heart out. Yeah. I feel like that would touch you way more than it touched me only because I'm an only child and you have a lot of siblings. So I feel like with the sibling vibes, you would pick on that. I definitely felt that one a lot more. Yeah. See, I picked up on the isolation moments more because it's like, yeah, I feel that. But you definitely picked up on the sibling stuff more. Well, she had, I think there were four of them. Yes, there were four. Missy, Murph. There's another one with an M, Jody, and then Kaya is the baby. Mandy's the oldest one. Yeah, the first three all had M's and I'm like, that's dumb. Yeah. Because the next two didn't. And it's like, if you're going to theme your kids' names, do the whole thing. Like, put in the work. Well, see, that was just their nicknames. That wasn't their actual names. Their names didn't start with an M. Maybe I also did not pick up on that. It was Amanda, Mandy, and then Mary was Missy, and then it was Napier Murphy, and he was Murph, and then Jeremy Andrew was Jody. Oh, okay. Well, then I did not look at their names fully. But yeah, no, all the nicknames, the first three have M nicknames. And then Jody later on, his kids' names, and it's Mindy and Murph. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Why is that the tradition? (laughs) Maybe that's why I thought that the kids, that was their names. No, they were like, yeah, M names. Let's continue this. Less on the author. Sorry, author. I don't know. There are some authors where I feel like they really like a letter and then all of the these characters have like M names or L names. You're just like, why? Why did you do this? Well, and especially in books, which is something in, I, in college, I took a couple writing classes and stuff and was planning on majoring in it and clearly did nothing with that. But one time I had twins or something and they had like this same first letter of their name because I was like, oh, that's so cute. If I ever have twins, that's what I'm going to do. And I got scolded by all of my peer reviews and they're like, we can't tell them apart because they both have the L's or something. And it's like when you're reading or listening to audiobook or whatever, it's hard to distinguish people. That's why I get so mad. I recently listened to one where it was Jenny, like Jennifer and then Jenny with a G-I-N-N-Y. And because I audiobooked it, I had to go look it up. Yes, I remember that book. I was like halfway through the book and I was like, there's no way that this was intentional. And it definitely was, but it was like Jenny and Jenny. Stop it. There are other names in the world. Stop doing this. Why? Why did we do this? Where in the editing process were we like, yes, keep it. Some things are hard to get over. And I guess I unintentionally got mad at the author for the, all the M names and then giving up on it. Because her name also is not Kaya. That is a nickname. No, her name's Catherine. Yeah. And Kaya is such an interesting nickname for Catherine anyways. I'm so glad it wasn't Kathy because I could not have read a book about a Kathy as a main character. I didn't really have a point to that. I just wanted to complain about that. 
But at the same time, it feels more Southern. Kaya is such a Southern nickname. Oh, no, I love it. It's so pretty. My husband's family, they're all older. It clearly was childhood nicknames. But even the ones who've passed, their names are like Slimy, Doodle. And it's like, you're a grown adult going by this. What is happening? (laughs) Yep, Southerners. It's literally just, that's what they do. And it's not for artistic reasons or self-expression. It's just because laziness. It's literally laziness. I don't want to go by my regular name. Just keep going with it. Not going to come up with a new one. No. Deep entrenched nostalgia. That's why you got to be careful when you're naming kids nowadays. Because you have to think everything they could potentially be nicknamed and see if it's worth it. And then out of nowhere, they might just get some other synonym or some other name from nowhere. Or if they have like a little bit of a speech impediment and it's like, okay, well now your name is Marble. And it's like, her name's Mabel. (laughs) Why do we call her Marble? Because that's what we do. Forever. Southern people, guys. I can't do it. But I also am from a family where my mom hated nicknames. Like my name's Danielle and everywhere I went, kids would always try and call me Danny, which I think's cute. I had no problem with being Danny and some people still call me that. But my mother, we were not Southern. She was from the Midwest and it was, your name is Danielle. No. No. We shortcut names as much as possible. Or lengthen them for no reason. That's how you end up with somebody who is named like Charles and they end up with like Coot. Yeah. Or Cooter. Like what? We like to see the names in the Bibles and look really nice, but no, that's not the name we use. Let's call it something else. Completely different. But anyways, I love Kaya. I love the name. It is so cute. Oh, but it came from Catherine, which is okay. Uh, Yeah. I will agree with that. It's very Southern. I swear, as soon as you name your baby, people are like automatically, what nickname can we give this child? Well, and it's funny nowadays because it's like, oh, what's your baby's name? And it's like, well, what do you call him? It's like Sugar Plum or we call her Little Toes or like things that, oh, your kid fell one time. Now we call her Autumn and it's because fall. You have to explain everything. Yes. But that's the fun thing. If you're around a bunch of Southerners, they just accept it. Yeah. They're like, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's a tradition anywhere else. Because that'd be fun to see, find out that somewhere else that totally does it. But I, I feel like that's a very Southern thing to have a child named Catherine and call him Kaya or Kai. I don't know how to actually pronounce it. I need to watch the movie. I did not listen to the audiobook. I don't know how to pronounce these names. <laughs> Is it Kaya? Honestly, I think they said Kai. But when I look at it, when I see the name, I say Kaya. Yeah, I think it's Kai. Eh, I don't care. Either way, it's pretty. Definitely better than calling her Catherine the whole thing. Kathy. I hate Kathy. Kathy. I would not read a book with a character named Kathy. I don't believe you, but okay. (laughs) I probably still would. And not Wuthering Heights. Good book. But yeah, the book starts with her mom leaving. And then there's all the kids and then mentions like how all the kids eventually leave. And then one day Jody leaves. I think Jody's the first one to be like, bye. I think the rest of them just leave. Yeah. Because his mom has a psychotic breakdown. Well, and she's so little when the other ones leave. The mom just has a complete psychotic breakdown after being in this abusive, terrible, lying, conniving 
relationship. Like, you find out since the beginning that this dude has been lying about his financial affairs and isolates her in the stump of a shack in the middle of the marsh in North Carolina. And they have children together. Five children. That is a lot of children. Yeah, that's a lot of kids. And the only income they have is his war pension, which as we all know is not a lot of money. And she's making the best of it, but then he also has PTSD and so it adds to the abusive because you're not abusive because you have PTSD, but he has PTSD and so then he develops a drinking problem to cope with it because this is the 60s and therapy does not exist. And that just makes the abuse way worse because drunk and he gambles a lot and it's it's so bad. It's such a bad situation. And one day like the mom just like has this mental breakdown and she just leaves. You find out later on because during the book you're like well how could she just like leave her four children like that and that's another thing where I think it was like really honest because it talks about later on Jody found the mom but she had passed away from cancer or something but he found an aunt to talk about and it just talked about how for like a year after she had this mental breakdown she was just catatonic she did not exist her brain was so much protecting her from all the trauma going on that she just like for an entire year she was not a person and then as soon as that year not as soon as like it's not a magic wand but after a year or so she comes out of it a little bit and she's like holy crap I left my children oh my gosh and so she writes a letter to the dad being like I want my children and you come to find out this is a letter in Kaya's perspective that one day mom wrote her letter and things had been going okay with dad it was just the two of them and then after the letter he goes back to being his terrible self and so you don't know what's in that letter because Kaya can't read and it's a bit before Kaya can read. I think she's like a teenager before then. She's really old to be learning that. Yeah. So she doesn't know how to read. So she doesn't know what the letter says, but it made dad really mad. And you come to find out it's mom saying, I want my children. Give me my children. And then the dad writing back, if you dare try to come for them, I will kill them. And then this forever guilt that this mom has that she left her children there with that monster. And you never find out what happens to any of the other siblings. Eventually, Jody comes back, but you never find out what happens to the other three. They're just gone. It's so sad. Oh my gosh. The whole family thing is so sad. Well, and a big part of that is the isolation because they were out in the marshes and didn't really have anybody checking up on them or any family that lived close or could help or knew how to help or who to help. Yeah, like the truancy officers got Kai to go to school one day, a single day, and then they basically gave up on her. But they never checked back in. They saw her at the supermarket, I think, with the truancy officer sees her. Yeah, there were no welfare checks. There was literally just, hey, you should go to school. Oh, well, we tried. We took her to first grade or whatever. Yeah, and they'll like come back and look for her and stuff. And she's really good at hiding because whatever. But yeah, that's basically all the intervention she has is a single day of school. Which doesn't make any sense because I don't know 1960s rules, but they harass you if you don't go to school now. And I mean, I'm sure it was before the laws really got into place about making kids go to school. It's very different. But why even bother make her go to that first day then if you knew you were going to give up the bare minimum drop in the bucket effort really made me mad, honestly. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, she's so dumb. She never went to school. And it's like, nobody made her. You know her home situation to an extent. Yeah. All the poor Marsh kids. But they're Marsh trash. They're not poor people. They're trash. Yeah. 
Yeah, very inhuman. I'm sure this happens everywhere, but that is also a very Southern thing of, oh, I'm so charitable and giving and stuff. I like, I love it. In the closing arguments for the trial, her lawyer straight up is just like, this girl survived and not because of our churches, not because of the goodwill of the people. She did it in spite of those things. And it was like, yes, you charitable, wonderful Christian people who just let this child starve in those marsh because you thought that she was less than because she was dirty. Like, give her a bath. Fixed. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, it kind of ends up in his closing argument kind of puts the townspeople on trial. And I think it's their guilt is honestly the only reason she gets off. They have slim evidence, so they didn't really have a huge case against her. No. Actually, I was worried. Straight up after the trial, I was like, oh crap, are they going to become a lynching mob? Are they going to try to enact justice themselves? But even as they were leaving the courtroom, they were mad at first, but then they were blaming the sheriff. They were like, the sheriff with his stupid theories. Na, 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 na. And I was like, okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> be mad at someone else. Don't be mad at her. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. The way he turned that back around and humanized her for the first time, because it's like, guys, she is a published author, an award-winning naturalist. And as she goes on, she gets an honorary doctorate and she writes seven books and she's so impressive. But because these people have such stigmas about what she can be because of where she is. Yeah, she definitely succeeded in spite of them. She did have her good buddy Tate helping her and he did a little bit of the legwork because obviously she didn't leave the town except for I think twice. Yeah. She never left the marshes and so he did that side of things but she did everything in spite of everybody just to hey this is what I'm interested in. I accomplished something. She was just going to keep it for her own records because she details the plants and stuff and the marshes. She's really good at art. That's one of the things I like about Tate. He wasn't like, oh, let me save you. He was just like, oh, let me get you in contact with someone. And then it was her. It was her work. And it's like people helped her, but never is the book framed like, oh, she was saved by somebody. Yes. Men saving women kills me. Even Jumpin' and Mabel, they were amazing and wonderful. And I love them with every piece of my soul. But even they, in a lot of ways, were assisting her in survival. They weren't the reason she survived. Like, it was just her. They gave her some tools. Yeah. But they literally could have been like, hey, we want to adopt you. Well, I don't know if they could have. I mean, legally, they couldn't have. But hey, let us take care of you. Yeah. And they do to an extent, like every time they see her and they try and get her clothes and make sure she's fed and that kind of stuff. But they never try and trap her. Yeah. Mabel teaches her about periods. I mean, technically Tate has to... Oh my God, that's insane. (laughs) Okay, so it always messes with me when people are like, let me wait until after the period happens to explain what's going on. Like, no! Somebody should have had this conversation before she starts bleeding and thinks she's dying. Well, to be fair, she was young. Girls start at different times. I think she was around 12. Oh, actually, 12 is kind of old. I feel like you should have known by then. And I mean, granted, she didn't have a mother. And so it's not like she had someone at home being like, hey, this is how you do the thing. She didn't have mothers or sisters at the house. Yeah. And so it was literally she started bleeding one day and Tate was like, holy crap, um, trying not to panic here. Because 
because he's a 12 year old boy he don't know or i think he was a little older than her so he's doing his best and so he's like i know this is a thing um you should go take care of that it's find a woman basically and he does it in a good way he's not like ew disgusting you're so gross because of he's literally trying his best i don't know i'm panicking yeah and he's like okay so this is a thing it's totally fine and it's a little bit panicky but he does explain a little bit like it's normal it's okay just go talk to mabel and this is done just go home and so he tells her what it is and then so she goes to mabel and then mabel is like okay so let me explain and i like the way she talked about it she made it sound like a pride source and it's like yeah sometimes southerners have a habit of making it sound either disgusting or something to be ashamed of like the curse or something like that yeah even whenever it's a woman author still sometimes they go above and beyond and are like let's make this as uncomfortable as possible and honestly it was a little uncomfortable but in a funny way because this is natural and normal but because it was a 12 year old boy and girl kind of experiencing this together they didn't have any of the answers they needed an adult yes it was good I liked it that was actually a really good scene but like I said it always gets me where I'm like tell your daughters before it happens always she doesn't need to be one day bleeding and thinking she's dying and you being like oh yeah this is a totally normal thing and it's like oh thanks could have used that information you might have gotten that talk from your mother but I personally no I got it from the school I have seven brothers and sisters most of them being girls and I did not receive it until me and my sister both started in the same week why what is the point of keeping that and I knew this stuff existed because one of my older sisters obviously had stuff in the bathroom and like my mom had stuff around the house so I knew it was coming like I knew about it but I was never sat down and explained it so Kaya not knowing even without a mom I found the scene hilarious I didn't think I was dying I knew it existed that's why I'm always like ah because people still do that yeah they're like let me wait until after it happens like that it would be traumatic this felt like a genuine story to me this part if you one day you look down your hand just starts bleeding and you're like oh my gosh it's bleeding I'm dying I need to go to the hospital and then all the adults are like oh honey that's just part of getting older like ah. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do I'm just saying I felt with Kaya I got it <laughs> oh my gosh yeah and so there are moments of coming of age a little bit that was yeah got out of the first period it's very coming of age story guys big chunk this to talk about the murder a little bit we'll probably jump around but there's a note I have so Chase is a not nice person and I don't feel bad that he died at all but there's this structure that's a fire tower that for some reason has a bunch of grates that you can open up and fall through fall 30 feet down and they're not latched or anything so anyone could open these things what is the point of this building other than being a death trap it's like a lighthouse except when you get to the top of the lighthouse instead of an area where you can walk around it's an area with holes that you can open up what why does this building even exist the whole actual murder confused me spoiler at the very end it is revealed that kaya did in fact murder him which 
I called that. I did not, but honestly, I should have. Well, the only reason I was is because the more they were proving her innocent, the more I'm like, I bet she did do it. <laughs> nah, she did it. She did it, guys. Um, but honestly, I love that for her. So he was trying to assault her and because she had broken up with him because he was married and she just didn't want anything to do with him anymore and he would not let go. No, because then feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. I don't think it was premeditated. I think it happened in the heat of the moment. We never fully find out what happened or who invited who. We never really figure out what the deal with Chase is. We just know that he was pushed, maybe fell through a grate and she stole the necklace and then left. And then the marsh kept her secret. I, for a minute, honestly thought that Tate did it in revenge. I know. There were so many times where I was like, is it Tate? Protecting his girl, even though they weren't together. The author put the seeds of doubt in your mind, especially with the red hat that had come from him. And then in one of the flashbacks, he gives her this hat. And then suddenly it's the red fibers from this hat are the only real evidence that they have. And the fact that the necklace is missing, which isn't even really a point of evidence. It's just everybody in town knows that she gave Chase the necklace and then he died and didn't have it. But I love that for Kaya that she was the murderer and got away with it because she deserves it. I'm not sad that Chase died at all. No. He was trying to continue an affair while he was married. He was a predator. And kept trying to sexually assault her. Yeah, and then when she turned him turned him down, when she escaped with her life, honestly. His wife's better off. It's fine. Yeah, and his parents were trash anyway. Yeah. I don't feel bad for his parents because they feel like they golden child him and they were kind of the reason he ended up how he is. And they didn't see him for what he was. Anyway, I didn't care for the mom, even though the mom was right in the end about who did it. But the townspeople, once the trial was over, it's like, oh yeah, that's fine. We don't care. They didn't search for another murderer. No. Well, they did. They mentioned every so often a new sheriff would come in and they would try to, but they couldn't do anything. But they don't. Bare minimum in this town, guys. That's what we're shooting for. Yeah. Usually police negligence in books. Well, she doesn't try to detective work anything because she clearly does it. And Tate doesn't try and detective anything. And they're basically the only characters in this book that mean anything besides, of course, Jumpin' and Mabel, but they also do not try and solve this. So I don't really have a problem with the detectives being terrible at their jobs. It's fine. (laughs) As the trial went on, I understand Eric had to work with the evidence he did. I don't fault the prosecutor for trying to do his job. I don't think he should have brought it to trial. I know they were moving fast because the mom was upset and people were like, well, what happened and whatever. But I feel like when the sheriff came to the prosecutor and was like, hey, we've done this thing. I don't think the prosecutor should have accepted it and been like, yeah, we'll bring this to trial. I feel like he should have been like, get me real evidence. They definitely should have gotten more evidence because obviously, spoiler, she did do it. But they only had some red fibers. There was nothing to do. Their evidence was the fact 
fact, they had no evidence. Only a marsh person could do that. And the necklace got taken or whatever, but... But it could have fallen off. It really could have. An animal could have eaten it. He could have taken it off. Literally anything could have happened to this necklace. He could have gone to the top of the fire thing and thrown it off into the marsh because he was done with her. And then when he was leaving, he fell through and hit his head. Like I said, their evidence is that there was no evidence because they never find the necklace with Kai. They just say, oh, he's not wearing a necklace. Kai must have taken it. That's not even circumstantial. That's such a leap in logic. Honestly, the wife should have taken that necklace if she knew that his ex had given it to him and he wore it all the time. I would have been so mad. Oh, I'm sure they were a trash couple. We never really see them together, but I'm sure they were a trash couple. I'm just saying, they're like, oh, Kaya had to be the only person who would take this. No, the wife would have taken that necklace. Mm -hmm. I don't want him to have any more parts of her. I don't know. Jumping logic on that one is like, nope, only she could do it. No. And so they don't have footprints. They don't have fingerprints. They have the fibers on the hat. But But if they thought that they were still having an affair, which by that time they'd been broken up for a minute. Yeah, a couple years. Before he dies. And he's trying to rekindle it. And she wants nothing to do with it. But everybody still thought they were still having an affair this whole time. So it's not unreasonable that part of her hat was on his clothes, little fibers and stuff. If you genuinely thought they were having an affair, their evidence was so scant. And how casually they brought up the fact that Chase was totally trying to attack Kai during the trial and then like no one seemed to care. And then they used that as evidence. Oh yeah. The two fishermen see it or not quite see it. They know that that's what's happening. Yeah. They see Kaya desperately trying to put her clothes on, yelling at him, trying to get away. And nobody in town is like, wow, Chase was scum. But they also don't step in and help. Oh my gosh. This town, they were the real criminals. And I mean, I think that's part of the, she's the victim in all of this, but she's a murderer. I don't care. Yeah. And maybe I'm just a crafter, but when they were like, hey, the wool on the hat totally matches the wool that was on him, all I could think was, well, who made the hat? Just because the yarns match doesn't mean someone else didn't buy a skein of this yarn and make something else. Even that was really, really loose. Because all they can say is, yeah, this came from the same batch of yarn. And as a crafter, I can tell you, that doesn't mean much. Yeah, I don't know. I definitely thought Tate did it. That would have been interesting. There were some times where I wondered, but it could have been anyone. They are just like, yeah, he totally was sleeping around and then a bunch of husbands were mad about it and just totally rug sweeping his behavior. She's not the only girl that he was with. Guys who cheat continue to cheat and they'd been broken up for years. He had another mistress. I'm 95% positive. He had several, it sounds like. Yeah. But he was still obsessed with Kai because she said no and he does not know how to take no for an answer because he's trash. So much happened in this book. This was a multiple stories intertwined and then clever backdrops with the trial and then the coming of age and so much stuff happened and then she grows old and is sort of famous and has these books and we find out she also had been penning under a different name some poems yes using a pen name yeah but she's basically confessing to her crime through this poem yes oh I love it he finds a specific poem that she admits to committing this crime it doesn't really lay fact was it self-defense was it premeditated 
murder. What was happening here? And he finds the poem and you read it and you're like, hmm. My mind was blown. And then he finds the necklace and then he's like, holy crap, she did do it. And then he burns all the stuff. Yeah, no, it was her the whole time, guys. Tate is the real MVP. He's the real MVP. If he wasn't such an idiot in college, I swear. Well, he breaks up with her. Sort of not really. He ghost her. Yeah, I mean, yes. Um, But because he thinks she can't be in his real world once he goes off to college and meets other people and in the academic setting. And I do hate that. When they first got back together, I was a little a lot upset about it but her only options that the only two men she ever interacted with were Tate and Chase and so Tate leaving the way he did I think if he had been more of a man about it and said goodbye that was her thing but he was 18 19 whatever and he ghosted her like all Kaya's family had and it left room for Chase to wiggle his way in and I feel like things could have ended differently if he'd been like hey I'm going to school I'll come back I know it's four years, but I've just got to do this and grow individually, which of course is something people back in the 60s and 70s didn't quite understand. Yeah. You either married your high school sweetheart or... Marriage was the goal. Yeah. That was the only thing that you did. And he was pursuing academics and he doesn't outright say it, but she was dumb to him because he was going and meeting all these people and she was just Marsh. He never calls her trash. I know all of his friends do, but he does look down on her and it takes him coming back later and realizing wait a second no she's not you're smarter than all of us and it's not so much that because he knows she's really smart it's just this concept of she's not sophisticated and he has this view of what education is and what that world is like and academics and how fancy it sounds and here's this girl that lives in a marsh and is lucky to have a inside bathroom now it's not as sophisticated but as he grows up he realizes that doesn't matter. He doesn't realize that before he ghosted her, which she has abandonment issues. So good job. Yes. It left the door open for Chase. And I feel like she would not have fallen for his tricks. No. Had she had that backup option. Well, because whenever she and Tate would get intimate, they never have sex together. But there are times when they do other things. Tate was so focused on her pleasure as well as his. Yeah and how taking it slow and making sure she's not rushing into it and all of this. And then Chase was just like, nah, I want what I want. Yeah. Because he's the scum of the earth. And their first time is so quick and painful and terrible for her. Yeah, because he's trash. It makes me hate Tate just a little bit. By the end, I reconcile and I'm cool with him. Well, he made a big mistake. It was not cool. But because he was so nice and gentle and was trying to do the right thing, thing and not lead her on and then Chase comes in and he's like nah I'm gonna marry you and he's a liar and he knows he's never going to. Nope. She doesn't even meet his friends. It's very quickly and then he sees oh that's that girl he was with in the paper that's now his fiance. The girl hanging out with him. Yeah. Never introduced. Red flags Kaya. Scum of the earth. And then that's the thing if Tate had been her first time it would have been so different and uh, but I mean that's a little 
little bit like real life sometimes. I know, that's why it's so frustrating. <laughs> the author does a great job of, hey, we don't always get our fairy tale junior high best friend turn into our boyfriend or husband or whatever. Yeah, and the good guys aren't being pushy enough to wear someone down to have this quickie thing where it's not even good for her. Okay, straight up to be a little bit crude. I don't think she orgasmed with Chase once. I don't even know if she knows what that feels like. <laughs> I'm sure she does not. I don't even think she knows that sex is supposed to feel good. It just felt like this thing she did because Chase and he's oh he's scum. He's such scum. I am just so glad it did not with Chase result in any kind of pregnancy. Yes. I know Mabel would have helped her out and all of that kind of stuff but it would have been bad. And it's really sad because later on you find out she and Tate want to have kids but are never able to have kids. That's really sad. But at the same time, if Kaya could have, like, they weren't using protection. I don't believe for a second that they were using any... Oh, Chase? Heck no. Does condoms exist in 60s? Let's look this up. Invention. (laughs) There's obviously forms of contraception, but as we know condoms today... (laughs) When were these invented? (laughs) Okay, so this is a tangent we're going on now. So the modern iteration, like the rubber, was invented in 1839, but it was the thickness of a bicycle inner tube and had to be custom fitted. So hopefully after 130 years, there should have been... Chase comes across a guy who would not use a condom because his pleasure is more important than her. I don't believe for a second he was using a condom. And I don't think she would know that he should have a condom. Oh, yeah. There's a 0% chance that he would have taken care of that baby either. No, he would have dumped her immediately. It was like, nope, that's not my baby. And they didn't have DNA testing back then. Yeah. What was she supposed to do? Well, and with that town, all you had to do was spread the rumor that she was getting around with everybody else. Yeah. Even if nobody ever agreed and said that they were, you just start a rumor. I'm sure his new little wife definitely would have spread that one to her friends. Yeah. Child support didn't start until 1975. Even if he was like, yeah, I'm the dad, she couldn't have gotten child support. He could have just bounced. So it sucks that her and Tate never had kids, but I definitely am glad her and Chase never had kids because her mom popped out five of them. Yes. And we don't know any underlying causes why her and Tate couldn't have kids. I mean, honestly, I totally believe like she was just severely malnourished growing up and it just became problems later. I kind of wondered at her getting a period at all, honestly. I went back through my notes and it wasn't when she was 12. It was when she was almost 15. Okay, that made more sense because I was like, I thought she was kind of old. Yeah, and so just the fact that it's so delayed and I know as time has gotten on, girls have been getting their period earlier and earlier. I was about to say, I think 9 to 11 or 12 is about the average now. Which is why you shouldn't tell your kids early because you don't know if it's going to happen early. (laughs) You don't need an 8-year-old freaking out anyway. Surprise! Anyway, the fact that it feels so late that I wonder if she's just so malnourished that that was the best her body could do. It was like, okay, we can start doing this now. I don't know. I feel like that really messed with her a lot. Because she was eating like 
grits and that's it. Every once in a while she would get a meat in there, but she had no fruits. She had no vegetables. She had a very basic grain and sometimes meat. It was enough to survive, but it was very malnourished. I don't think she had any fats at all. Yeah, they describe her as very skinny. I can't remember the exact wordage, but she's malnutritioned for sure. Yeah. And so I wonder if that played into that. So much happened and yet a whole bunch of nothing happened because it was a lot of little moments, especially in the beginning when it's the coming of age part. It's like, oh, she went to school a little bit and then she got some feathers and then she got her period and then she went fishing again. There's a lot of nothing, but the way that the story is told with the juxtaposition of the trial and the murder plot and stuff, it just, I was on the edge of my seat as much of nothing happened. So much happened. Well, and this is a very beautiful book in that it is very nature. There will be pages of nature descriptions, and I'm not mad about that. Normally, when you go on these prolonged descriptions, I'm like, meh. It was well executed. Yeah, and what she chose to describe when was very well selected, I think, because in some ways it was the symbolism and things, but in a lot of ways, because the background of Kai is so integrated into her nature descriptions. You can see later on where it's like Kai is one with nature and she talks about it being her mom, essentially. Yeah, you can totally see that and see her love and why she became a naturalist even though she didn't realize she was becoming a naturalist. She just thought she was collecting feathers. It was very flowy. It was done intentionally and I'm not mad about it either. Yeah, it was good. It was a very good book. It was very well done. So to kind of pivot away from the book you want to hear the fun stuff about the author and another reason I wasn't surprised how it ended how it ended yes so this is her first novel yeah but she's written like three other books that they label them as memoirs but essentially they're talking about her and her husband's time in Africa working with animals so they worked I'm not sure all the countries they worked in but they worked in I know for a fact like Zimbabwe and they watched animals and stuff she and her husband are not allowed back in Zimbabwe because... Oh no, they do. <laughs> what happened? Because she herself is just a person of interest in that they want to interview her, but her husband and her son are suspects in the murder of a poacher. Ooh. So they've never gone to trial or anything? It just, they're wanted if they go back? No, they just bounced. They left the country. Okay, well, with how this book turned out, they did it. I'm calling it now. They are guilty. This is her poems to us confessing her murder. That her husband totally did it. Her ex-husband. They are divorced at this point. Oh, she believes he did it. And so a little part of me is like these animal naturalists that care so much about the environment and animals. And there's this poacher that mysteriously dies and has a connection to the husband. And I'm like... Hmm, weird. Yeah, I would not be surprised if this was her. This totally happened story. Her confession. Yeah, so that's the author's backstory. Yeah, that backstory, though. No. But yeah, she went on to write a 2018 <laughs> novel. It's a super bestseller. Oh my gosh. That's another reason I was like, I bet she did it. I will say in the end, just to kind of get into general thoughts, I don't know. The ending 
this had been like a five star book until the ending. And then I feel like I went to like four stars because at the end of it, they wrap it up too quick. I think after all of the dragged out everything. Yeah, I felt unsettled. I mean, they wrap it up and you do find out, oh, she was the killer all along or accidental, whatever had happened. We don't fully know if she planned it or it just naturally happened. And then she left those poems and stuff confessing her guilt. But it jumps to the future 40, 50 years. It jumps really fast. Because then she dies at like 62, 65, something like that, which is kind of young, but maybe because she had a terrible diet her whole life. She finally gets indoor plumbing when she's in her 20s. Yep. 60 kind of seems old when you think about it that way, but it's young. It's very young. Yeah. She died in 2000s, I want to say. So that is still kind of young for someone's heart to go. But like I said, she's so malnourished the entire time growing up. I wouldn't be surprised if she had a weak heart. When I first read it, it felt too young. But now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, 60 something is kind of a long survival for how much she had to go through in her life. And I know she does get money and then her and Tate reconcile and then they live together, which I don't think they get married. I don't know if that matters. I don't think they do, but they just live together. No, they don't. It's basically a common law marriage to Kai. They're married. And so Tate's fine with it. I don't think they ever go and get the paperwork or anything like that, which is a shame because taxes. But anyway, he wasn't going to push her. It's fine. I don't know. I just felt like something was missing in a way. Not that this book should have taught me some great secret of the universe, but I did kind of walk away with, well, what have I gained from reading this book? And beside entertainment and the feels, I didn't necessarily have anything concrete to walk away with. And so I felt like, meh, I don't know. It just kind of ended in a really neat way. And especially since I saw the ending coming, I was just kind of like, meh. Yeah, it did catch me by surprise just because I got it in my head that Tate was the killer and he was just protecting her. And I was also fine with that being the answer because Chase was good and gone and it didn't matter. When Kai was going to go tell Tate that she's okay with loving him and then the cops show up and he slumps down, I was convinced the sheriffs were being like, so you did it. And he just came along, but then you find out his dad died and it's real sad. That was the best dad in the world. Oh my gosh. A dad who's like, you should be able to cry and read poetry and still be a man. Yes. And there's a little bit of symbolism in the dad because he's like, why are you so obsessed with this Marsh girl? And then at some point he realizes, you know, if this is important to Tate, this is important to me. And he's like, I was prejudiced against her. There's no reason why he shouldn't love her and stuff. So anyway, love that character as well. He's also a national treasure and should be protected at all costs. But yeah, I thought that was when they were going to be like, and Tate did it. But no, they did not. Yeah, I like this ending better just because it's not Tate saving her doing the whole white knight thing. And it really was her. And then the townspeople not quite rallied around her, but their own guilt about neglecting her gets her off of the trial. It's the perfect ending for this type of book. One question for the author. So I did more background with her. I want to know why she picked North Carolina because she grew up in South Georgia. No, this felt like it was in Louisiana at least. And I don't know anything about marshes. So 
maybe they do have more marshes. Maybe she researched it. Well, Louisiana kind of has bayous. It's a little bit different. Mentally, you get the same images, but it is different. But that's why I was surprised she didn't use something like the Okefenokee in Georgia. And you don't have access to the ocean in the same way, but you still have swamps and marshes there. And so that's why I was like, why North Carolina? I would be interested to know a little bit more of that. I didn't find anything straight up that said specifically that because she did grow up in Georgia and then went to school there and stuff. So I'm just like, when did you become so totally one with North Carolina nature? When did this happen? You became an expert. What's your one question? I don't know. There's not enough characters in this book for me. And I know it's because it's supposed to show that she's isolated and all that, but... Which is kind of funny because there's a lot of names, but I agree there are not a lot of characters. But every character that's there, it feels full. I don't know. That's not really a question. I guess why? (laughs) I think I'm answering my own question as I'm asking it because it's the intentionality of her feeling so isolated, but I don't know. For me, it just didn't feel a full cast. Yeah, because there's 62 named characters, but I agree. The cast is very different. Yes. But there's like six characters. I don't know. That wasn't a question, but that's my question. (laughs) That's all I got. She answered most of her questions herself. I guess to see an afterward that actually shows what happened, if Kaya had intentionally killed him, because then that's so much more devious than, hey, he tried to get frisky again and I pushed him. I defended myself. Well, see, because based on the poem, it makes it seem premeditated that she invited him out there. Well, that's what I'm saying. I guess I don't need to know. I think it's part of what keeps people guessing at the end because it's like, oh, she did it, but why? But we know why, but how, I guess? Yeah, because she specifically references how lightning bugs, and she'd seen it when she was younger, how they'll have one pattern for mates and then they'll pretend to be someone else with a different pattern and when the male for the fake pattern shows up, they kill them. They eat them because bugs. Bugs are vicious. I swear every mating story ends with and then they were devoured. And then she killed them. Yeah. But it specifically mentions that, giving the false signals. And so I'm just wondering if she was just tired of being scared, of having to worry about if he's going to show up randomly and attack her. He is physically stronger than her and so it wouldn't be out of the realms of the possibility to worry he's going to kill her. And so if she thought this was the only way to be free, I would totally believe that. I wonder if as a reader, if that metaphorical gun going off, because you picked up on that, I wonder if that's why you guessed that she did it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, in a play, if they talk about a gun, it has to go off. Yeah, Chekhov's gone. Yeah, but you saw that when she was little, that metaphor thing. It's more so because that was what the poem was about. More so the dramatic reversal. And I was like, this could be a twist. In a mystery, because I do have a lot of experience with mystery, I could totally believe the twist being, and the innocent person was not innocent. Yeah, I wonder how other people reviewed it. If they all are smarter readers than me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Sometimes I get stuff really early on and I'm like, oh, this is the love interest. This is the murderer. Figured it out. Nailed it. This one, I think because they expected us to think she was guilty, even though she was clearly innocent as soon as the the trial started. Yeah. I don't know. I thought Tate did it. 
<laughs> See, I had a double theory. I had a couple theories running at the time, and I would not have been surprised if Tate did it, but I also wouldn't have been surprised if she did it. So I think it's not that I was betting everything that she did it, but it was definitely in my mind. Like, I would not be surprised if she did it. Definitely in the back of your mind. Yeah. Rating. I would give this taking a haunted boat tour through the swamps out of 10. You hear the stories and then there's a murder. And have you ever taken a ghost tour? They go into some good stories about people. Like, I feel like if I was on a boat tour, that's exactly what happened. You got to experience nature. You got to experience a scary, not scary, but a story that it could potentially be like, and then it was haunted kind of story. Like the marsh girl still haunts these woods or, and the fire tower is forever haunted by Chase because no one figured out their murder or something like that. I could totally see either of those things being on a ghost tour. I love it. (laughs) I am going to give it a getting away with murder and having your lover find it after you die out of 10 because that's what happened. <laughs> that's ex- it's the best. I don't know. That's what happened. I will rate this exactly what happens. Yes. 10 out of 10. Good job. <laughs> Would you read it again? Maybe? I definitely would. I think next time I want to physically read this book just to get more of the visual. But honestly, the audiobook did a great job too of kind of lulling you into the waves of some of the descriptions. You said you weren't sure. I don't know. I am not sold either way. It's not so bad where I'm like, I would never read this again or so long that I'm like, I'd never read this again. But I don't know necessarily what would compel me to read it again because it's not like a mystery where you're like oh my gosh the solution let me go read it again to see what clues were there beforehand and I don't know how much stuff would have the same impact because I know what's going to happen I think after the movie comes out I will probably read it again I can see that to compare but yeah I don't know if there's anything that would be like yeah I totally need to read this again first and foremost it's a coming of age story and like I said I don't know if they necessarily have the same impact when you know what's going to happen because part of the fun of it is the uncertainty and not knowing what's going to happen so that's true well and it's like to kill a mockingbird i haven't read since i read it in high school and then i read it again in college but both times were for a class and then whenever that newer it was sort of a sequel had come out i read it a third time but it was because the new book had come out yeah those are the only ways i think yeah so i don't know thank you for exploring where the crawdad sings with us. I'm Sam Reiner. And I'm Danielle. And we hope to see you and a friend here next time. Escape Move Me Book Club is a Lunar Skulk production. Check us out on TikTok or Instagram to keep up to date with us. Lunar underscore S-K-U-L-K.